But I believe that if we, especially as women, as most of your podcast listeners are, if we can cultivate a healthy relationship with our money, then that means that we have the ability to really make change in those areas that are the most important to us, whether that is you know, racial, gender, or ability equality women tend to give more than their male counterparts. So if we can cultivate a healthy relationship with money, then we are able to first take care of ourselves. You know, that old adage of putting on your own oxygen mask first, but Mm -hmm. then we can contribute to the charities that are important to us, to the foundations that are important to us. Or even if it's not a financial contribution, we can contribute our time and energy and expertise to the things that matter. Welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. You worry, I worry, we all do. If you're paying attention to the world today, there's a lot for women to feel worried and anxious about. As we explore the worries with curiosity and compassion, we learn to live more authentically and unleash the warrior within, someone who is strong, capable, and resilient, come what may. It's time to stop battling against yourself and start using your powers to meet everyday challenges with energy, purpose, and bravery. Now here's your host, Elizabeth Cush. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cush, and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor here in Maryland, as well as a women's life coach. And you can find more about me at progressioncounseling.com or womanwarriors.com. I know over the years I have struggled with money, talking about money, being honest about my spending, using money as a, not as a weapon, but as a way to sort of protect myself. I really held tightly to my money as mine versus bringing money into my marriage as a shared resource. And I think a lot of that stemmed from just my own history and as my parents divorced, that struggle that I saw my mom go through with money and having to suddenly be the sole financial provider for us, her, and the four kids. So that has taken a long time for me to heal, especially being a business owner and entrepreneur as a woman, recognizing that it's okay to want to make money. So this Today's episode feels near and dear to my heart. We will be talking to Lindsay Brian Podvin about our money struggles and how we as women can make peace with and explore our own money stories and how they're impacting our relationships and ways that we can find to talk about our money struggles. So Lindsay's going to share with us sort of a template on how to go about having those money conversations with your partner. So I'm really excited to share this conversation. So let's get started. Lindsay Brian Podvin is a biracial financial therapist, speaker, and author. As the first financial therapist in Michigan, she combines financial literacy with the emotional and psychological side of money. She's passionate about helping couples and individuals learn how to have a healthy relationship with money by removing the shame from it. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Thanks, Elizabeth. I've been really enjoying listening to some of your past episodes, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. 
Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I have listened to you be interviewed and listened to a little bit of your podcast as well. And I feel like this topic about financial anxiety and and being more comfortable and aligned is so important. But I would also love the listeners to know a little bit about you and what has inspired you to do the work that you do. Of course. I'm a social worker by training and found that there was just this gap in the way that we talked or didn't talk Mm -hmm. rather about money. You know, in my training in social work, the only time we spoke about money was in a death and dying class when we were talking about durable powers of attorney and creating a, a will and living trust. And that was really the only time money came up in a a therapeutic way. Other Mm -hmm. times that money came up in my training, it was often about, you know, you didn't choose this field to make money or money isn't important to you if you chose this field. So there were some of those messages as well. And in my therapeutic work, once I got out and finished up my internship, I really focused on depression and anxiety. And as you can imagine, you know, money (laughs) stuff came up. And in my personal life, I'd had an interest in money. I graduated into the Great Recession in 2008. And then I started graduate school several years later. And even though I grew up incredibly financially privileged, and even though I had some pretty solid financial literacy basics myself, I still managed to find myself graduating from grad school with zero dollars and a little bit uncertain about how to go about managing my money. So I had, you know, this personal connection with money and started doing some learning on personal finance. And I just thought, you know, there's just this, this missing link here. Here I am in my professional office sitting with clients who are stressed out about money. And my training really has not prepared me to do anything with it. And in fact, a lot of the times that money came up in my training, it was all about advocating and referring out when money came up. So referring your clients to a financial counselor or a debt consolidator or giving them an 800 number to call, but there wasn't any real space to talk about money in a therapeutic way. So I sought out some additional training in financial social work and in financial therapy so that I could ethically bridge that gap with my clients and hold space for them to talk about money. And because of my background in depression and anxiety, it just kind of lent itself really naturally to talking about money anxiety and financial anxiety. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it's interesting you know, two things that you said that sort of the field of the helper, so our Mm -hmm. field, there is this underlying and maybe sometimes explicit message, like you're not getting into this field to make money, which I don't know, is an interesting way to shape a profession, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, or of course we need to make money. You can't live without money, but that we should be willing to do it and sacrifice, but also just how much what we learn in our lives about money and money stability, like it really impacts just future stuff so much. Yeah. Yeah. Money interacts with all aspects of our lives. And for us to set it aside as something that doesn't impact our clients' mental and emotional well-being seems really irresponsible to me. Yeah. And that there isn't really, I, for the podcast, had been sort of searching out a therapist who also handled money stress and money issues. 
and there aren't a whole lot of you out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At last count, I think depending on which directory you're looking at, there's somewhere between 50 and 300 financial therapists in the United States. Which is crazy because you think mm. we all struggle with this. And so, you know, I know on your website, you talk about how that money is really an emotional and psychological struggle for us. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about money anxiety, but can you kind of delve a little deeper into that, that like how, and it's a, it's a physical stress too. I mean, right. It impacts our daily physical living. Absolutely. As your listeners are probably well aware by now, we know that anxiety can happen to anybody at any age, regardless of income or socioeconomic status in the same holds when it comes to financial anxiety. To me, financial anxiety is anything that makes us feel nervous, on edge, or worried about our money that then impacts our ability to manage our money in a responsible way. So that can often look like financial anxiety manifesting as avoidance of not looking at bank accounts or not double-checking pay stubs. It can also manifest as one of your recent guests talk about as perfectionism of this mm. constant checking of things to make sure things are the right way or being done appropriately. And as women, you know, we are kind of fed this weird dual message about money in that we are supposed to manage money within the household context, within the context of thinking about, you know, what coupons we're going to clip when it comes to buying groceries and how are we going to afford to send our children to soccer camp. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to managing money outside of the household, the message that we get is that it's too hard and we need to stay in our lane. You know, women are, are not mm -hmm. to be trusted as investors or as spenders. You know, there's that stereotype of the woman sneaking in shoes and purses into her closet and not telling her partner about them. So we get these weird messages about money yeah. that really lead to a lot of anxiety of, am I doing it the right way? Do I know enough? Am I competent enough? And financial anxiety can show up in those thoughts and those feelings and in those behaviors. Yeah. I was going to say, I still have some of that. Like I have to sneak in this purchase where, you know, I'm very financially stable. My husband is very financially stable. We have a good income as our household. Our children are adults now, so we're not supporting them. So things are pretty comfortable. But just the idea of giving myself permission to spend money on me, you know, is sometimes hard. And sometimes even on my business, I feel like I have to find a way to justify it versus like, this feels important to me that I need this. And not that I don't want to be like a, I'm not shopping mindlessly, but yeah, it's crazy how much gets tied up in that. Oh, absolutely. You are definitely not alone in this feeling of uncertainty or guilt when it comes to spending just to spend. Again, women are kind of told that they have to have a reason to purchase things, especially if it's just for themselves. Again, when we think about like household spending, then there's a little bit more freedom and flexibility there. But when it comes to personal spending or for entrepreneurs, when it comes to business spending, there tends to be a lot of worries that get kicked up around it. So you are definitely not alone. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not to say that men don't have their own stories around money coming into relationships too, but I'm guessing some of the work that you're doing is helping women navigate those sort of relationship differences maybe, or 
I know early in my marriage, I felt like talking about money that we shouldn't have to, that it should just get figured out somehow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, so there was never a budget. Like, and let me just say, you know, when things were not as easy financially for us, because there was definitely times where we were struggling with young kids that like those money conversations were for me like torture. Yeah. Yeah. You are, oh my gosh, you are speaking so many things that so many people <laughs> that I talk to can, can really resonate with and relate to. And that's this idea that money is somehow unromantic or unsexy, and it's going to take the fun out of your relationship. And I, I really disagree. I think that partners who consistently and healthily communicate about their money, they actually create this additional pillar of strength that they can pull on when it comes to their relationship. Because to me, the money stuff is, of course, you know, budgeting what's coming in and what's going out. But to me, where partnerships can really grow strong is when they talk about their goals together and how they can meet those financial goals as a partnership and as a unit. And that's where it gets to be really fun and sexy to think about, Ooh, where do we want to be in five years? Do we want to purchase a house? Do we want to travel? You know, hopefully in five years, it's, it's safe to travel again around the world. Um, but thinking about some of those bigger goals and then going, wow, we can actually make this work. If we make these intentional decisions about our money, we can actually, you know, live abroad for a month, a year, or we can actually put a down payment on a house, or we can potentially even retire early, you know? So there are a lot of things that can be really exciting and powerful when couples communicate about money. And even when they disagree about money, if they do it in a healthy and productive way, again, I just think it really builds on the strength of that relationship. Oh yeah, I agree. And I hate to admit, but it took a long time for me personally, and my husband's in finance, so it took a very long time for me to feel comfortable talking about how much money my business was making because, you know, some of our stuff is separate still. You know, what I was spending on the business, was that okay? You know, was I actually making money? And it led to some very difficult conversations. And I am happy to say things are much better in in my financial relationship with my husband now than they used to be. Mm -hmm. But it's tough. Like it is tough to navigate those conversations when all of those very internalized stories and yeah, triggers are just getting poked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and as you, you mentioned yourself, like you came from a financially privileged background I did too. You know, were there some struggles? Yes, when my parents divorced. But overall, I have never been homeless. I have always figured out a way to support myself. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case for everybody, right? Like that is not the case for a lot of women who, you know, whether they're a single mom or just a minority, that money can impact our lives from so many levels, whether it's, I mean, we talked about psychological, but two, you know, it's a political, it's a race thing. It's a, it's all that. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So money is inherently intersected with, you know, all of our identities. And I think it's really important as so many of us kind of face 
the nuances of our identity, that we also acknowledge those areas in which we are privileged and in which we aren't. And to me, money is the one that is such a, a hot button. And for a while, I would say in my early 20s, I really rejected having come from money because I, I had kind of internalized it as somehow I was bad for having more than others. And I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame that I didn't have to financially struggle as much as others. And so I rejected it for a while and kind of played around with like this idea of what a lot of early 20 somethings do, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is like kind of dipping my toe in, in the hippie life. But the reality is like, that's just not sustainable. And we live in a capitalist society that certainly is rife with problems. But I believe that if we, especially as women, as most of your podcast listeners are, if we can cultivate a healthy relationship with our money, then that means that we have the ability to really make change in those areas that are the most important to us, whether that is you know, racial, gender, or ability equality, you know, women tend to give more than their male counterparts. So if we can cultivate a healthy relationship with money, then we are able to first take care of ourselves. You know, that old adage of putting on your own oxygen mask first, but Mm -hmm. then we can contribute to the charities that are important to us, to the foundations that are important to us, or even if it's not a financial contribution, we can contribute our time and energy and expertise to the things that matter. Whether or not we like it, our society is moved by money. And when we can put money behind the things that are important to us, that's how we can really facilitate change in a a meaningful way. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of get yourself, yes, financially stable enough to then put your energy and your financial backing or your expertise behind something that really matters Mm -hmm. to you. I struggle still with how sometimes to advocate for clients where clearly because they're women, maybe women of color, that their pay scale is definitely different than say their white male counterparts in a job Mm -hmm. and helping someone through that struggle of one, yes, acknowledging that that is true for our society here, especially here in the U.S., but are there ways that you can help women, one, advocate for themselves, but two, sort of just validate that that's for real, like that is still a part of what's happening today? I love this question because I think you're hitting on something that has been really popular as of late, which is this idea of you know, just kind of clicking your heels and money will manifest itself, right? <laughs> so this if idea you just of, put it out there to the yes, universe. Yes, yeah. exactly. If you put it out to the universe and you, you know, use the law of attraction, then money will come flowing to you. And to me, mm. that really gets into this area of spiritual bypassing where you're saying, look, the universe or the spirit is going to take care of you. And it totally discounts all the things, Elizabeth, that you brought up, which is the reality of systemic barriers that women and particularly women of color face when it comes to pay equity in our country. So I think first just normalizing and validating it is huge. And I think as therapists, we can really step into the advocacy part of our work when we are sitting with our clients and they are saying, look, I found out my coworker is being paid more than me, even though I have more experience or even though I have more responsibility, of course, sitting with them and validating how frustrating it is, but then also asking, 
would you like help kind of working through how to advocate for yourself and how to stand up and how to voice this as problematic and working with them? You know, these are again, therapeutic skills that we have of helping our clients negotiate and stand in their strength and practice assertiveness in the workplace, right? So saying, yes, we know that it is systemic and what can you do as an individual? How can I as a therapist support you as you advocate for your needs? So that's where we can really kind of stand in these two places and you don't need to have a financial therapy credential or a corporate you know, right, uh, right, negotiation right. credential to be able to do this stuff. This is stuff that we as therapists are trained to do and can help our clients through. And it may also be that you're helping your client kind of navigate potentially leaving a workplace that clearly isn't interested in addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion, or they're only using pictures of people of color on their website. But when you look at their board, it's all white folks. White guys, right? Right, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it might also be navigating that, yeah, the system is screwed up, but staying in this toxic environment isn't going to be helpful for you. So let's think about how we can healthily navigate you and move you to somewhere else. So to me, it's about, about what you said, Elizabeth, which is validating what's going on, but also putting on our therapist hats and saying, how can we get you out of there? Because we wouldn't advocate for our clients to stay in a toxic or abusive or narcissistic relationship elsewhere. So why would we say it's okay for them to stay in that environment in a workplace environment? Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. I love how you reshape that sort of, why would you encourage someone And not to say that this would necessarily have to happen so fast, but making a plan to move forward, to find a different job, to help them advocate for themselves, to looking for something that would be more supportive and yeah, yeah, moving away from that abusive situation into a more healthy, inclusive situation. Mm -hmm. One thing we really haven't touched on and something that I have seen in talking with one in particular therapists, but therapists of color, that this sense of shame around wanting to make money or being proud and honoring, do you see that in your practice? You know, it's interesting. I see it somewhat. I see more of the the kind of interpersonal dynamics that you were tapping on is that women and women of color who may be leapfrogging their family or their peers in terms of their income, kind of struggling with navigating those things of, of how do I show up in a newer car at family reunions or how how do I suggest that we go out to dinner at a nicer place than maybe my peers can afford, right? So some of those interpersonal struggles, but when we think about the importance of standing in your power as a woman and as a woman of color financially, that to me really pushes back against the white patriarchal system that Mm -hmm. has been built to keep women and women of color down. It is scary for the system to see a woman or a woman of color say, I am confident and proud in my ability to stand on my own two feet economically, and I'm looking forward to making change for generational wealth or within my community. So sometimes if we can kind of approach it from one of two ways, right? I often sit with my clients and say, what's more important for you at this moment in time to address? Is it the interpersonal awkwardness or is it the bigger Mm-hmm. kind of macro piece, right? And and right. kind of going where they want to go. 
oftentimes it can be easier for women to start with that macro and then kind of work into that micro area. So it might be easier to kind of think of systemic change and then to think of, okay, well, how do I actually navigate those conversations with my family or with my friends? But we have to stop you know, shaming women for, Mm. for having money and for being proud of having money. And I think, you know, we also have to rewrite this idea that having money makes you a bad person, you know, going back to earlier in our field, the field of therapy that often does shame people for having money. I think it's also really, really harmful. This idea that women and women of color need to be making less. And if you think about the types of jobs that women dominate um, oh, yeah, in, in terms of like demographics, too. right? It's, yes. it's the helping and healing fields. It's right. teachers, it's social workers, it is nurses that are dominated by women and women of color. And those are the jobs that are consistently underpaid and undervalued, even though we know that we need them for society. I think that, you know, obviously the pandemic has been devastating in so many areas. And at the same time, I think it's finally shedding a light on how important it is to have competent teachers available, to have competent mental health providers available, to have competent nurses available, right? So I think we're finally starting to see how hard these jobs are and how important it is that they are compensated and compensated well. Yeah. I think that, as you said, the shame of even like, should I want to make money as a helper? Like, should that even enter into my consciousness about entering this field? Like that, that shouldn't even be a part of my decision of like hoping to be able to support myself, Mm -hmm. which is just crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is. And again, it's one of those things that people in helping and healing fields have to face, whereas people in other fields don't have to face. You know, if you go into business or economics or accounting, nobody says like, oh, are you really going into that field? You really want to make money? You know, mm. you, don't, you just don't hear those things in the mm. way that people in our profession hear. And I, I specifically want to speak to the therapists who are out here listening who are like, ah, I really wrestle with that. I really wrestle with like, the sliding scale. And I really wrestle with asking my boss for a raise. And what I would say to you is that we are some of the most underpaid mid-level healthcare providers. My friends who are nurse practitioners and physician's assistants do not hesitate to ask for a raise, at least annually. They are not being told by their peers, you know, oh, are you really going into that field? You really actually want to make money? So I think it's especially important to recognize the value of the work that you do, especially amidst, you know, a global viral pandemic and a racial pandemic that we are experiencing, the importance of having competent mental health care and emotional health care providers be compensated for the work that they do. Yeah, I agree 100%. So when working with the clients, do you predominantly work with women? Is that... Right. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So I work mostly with couples and women. And the reason I tend to work with couples was that when I hung up my shingle as a financial therapist, I was kind of like, oh, welcome, you know, whoever whoever needs financial therapy into my space. But what I found was that a lot of my clients would come in who were partnered or married, but they would come in as individuals. And really quickly, I realized, you know, to one of our earlier talking points, the importance of both people in that partnership talking about money in an aligned and meaningful way. So I kind of said, look, moving forward, if you are 
married or in a very serious partnership where you and your partner are sharing finances, I need to see both of you. I can't see just one person because it's really hard to make meaningful change when two people's finances are involved. So I definitely do see individuals, but I tend to see a lot of couples as well. Yeah. That makes so much sense too, just Mm -hmm. because you have to there's two people coming into that discussion and looking to fix things. Right. So what are some of, you know, if you were to give listeners some tips on how to better talk about money in their relationships, do you have anything that resonates? That Yeah, yeah, I do. So one thing that I all almost always recommend is to carve out time to talk about money together. So don't do one of those drive-bys where you're, you know, running out the door to the grocery store and you're like, by the way, honey, I'm like really stressed out about our money. Uh, and by the way, our credit card bill is, you know, 5k over what I wish it would be. See ya, right? That's not going to be a recipe for a healthy discussion about money. So I think it's important to give your partner heads up that you want to talk about money and then set aside a time where you can do that. So you might be, you know, sitting down to dinner and doing the dishes and say, Hey, you know what, hon, I really, I'm really stressed out about money. I want to make sure that we can talk about it together. You know, do you think there's time later this week where we can do that? Hmm. Right. So you're inviting your partner into the conversation instead of, dictating the agenda in any way or dumping all these things that you had been thinking about forever and ever, particularly if you are a woman warrior, you might've been ruminating on these things for a very long time. Keeping and then you, you up dump it on your partner who has no clue, all the, all the things that have been running through your head. So that's one thing for sure is to carve out time to talk about money in an intentional way. And then the other thing I think is helpful is to have some sort of roadmap for what you will and won't be talking about when you have this conversation. So there there are kind of four quadrants that you can talk about during what I call a money date. And the four are, what do we earn? So what's our income? What do we spend? Or what are our expenses? So those two are the the proponents of a budget or what I like to call a spending plan. Mm -hmm. And then the other two are, what are the things we own? And what are the things that we owe? So, you know, do we own a house? Do we own vehicles? Do we own stocks? And then what do we owe? What are our student loans? What are our credit card bills looking like? What are our outstanding debts? So those can be kind of four areas that you can kind of focus on. And then I do think it's important to not all at once, you know, this is not a one money date type of a thing, but also make sure you're talking about some of those future things, you know, how much money do we need in an emergency fund to feel comfortable? Do we both have life insurance policies, which are especially important if you have children under the age of 18 in your household, or if you have anybody in your household who is physically or mentally disabled, thinking about things like a will and a trust to provide you with peace of mind in the event that anything happened to you. And also talking about, you know, what do we want to do with our money long-term? Is it important for us to donate to charities? Do we want to consider spending money on long-term care for our aging parents? Do we want to contribute to our children or a niece and nephew's college fund? So, you know, those are an array of different conversations that can happen over, you know, the course of a year, right? These again, do not have to happen all at once, (laughs) but having some topics to talk about when you have your money date are huge. And so it Mm. might be, again, going back to, you know, you're washing the dishes, you might say, hey, you know what, hun, at work, we're getting ready for open enrollment. 
they mentioned that they're changing the life insurance policies. Can we make sure to talk about that before open enrollment closes, right? Mm. So you're setting the stage about what you want to talk about. You're telling them why it's important to you. And you're also offering some sort of deadline of when you have to have that money conversation by. Mm, I love that. I love the idea of sort of a yeah, structured format so that it's not just, it feels more contained. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. And it feels less like all those trigger points that could be showing up if you're saying these are the things we're going to cover. Both people are coming in with that same expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think it's important when you're having a money date with your partner to know what are the what are the orange or red flags, right? <laughs> what are some of the things that might be happening in that conversation that are giving you the signs that it's time to slow down that conversation or that it's time to end that conversation and restart it when you are both in a more regulated place. So some of those orange signs for a couple might be things like raising your voice or interrupting one another or rolling your eyes, right? And some red <laughs> flags might be slamming doors or storming out of the room or saying things that are really unkind, right? But we want right. to kind of stop when we get to that orange zone so we don't get into that red zone. So if both people are kind of aware of like, look, this is a trigger point for me, or this is, you know, going to be a thing that's going to just shut me down. You know, it, it's perfectly fine to hit pause. You don't have to do it all at once, nor should you. Mm, yeah, that is great points for any discussion about anything that's the least bit sensitive, right? And having those orange and warning signs of when it's time to put it aside. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Lindsay. I really enjoyed sort of picking your brain about how we can be better at handling our money issues, but uh, how do people find you? Yeah, it's been great being on and, and chatting with you in this conversation really flew by. So my company <laughs> is called Mind Money Balance, M-I-N-D. Um, you can find me on my website, mindmoneybalance.com, over on Instagram at that same name. And you can also listen to my podcast at Mind Money Balance. And I also have a book. It's yeah. called The Financial Anxiety Solution. And it's an interactive workbook that you can use to walk yourself through some exercises to cope with financial anxiety. Anxiety. And if you're a therapist listening, it's a great book to grab so you can have some tangible exercises to use with your clients. And what I like to offer to anybody who hears me on anyone else's podcast and purchases the book is that I'll send you a free training on values-based spending and saving when you send me proof of purchase. And you can find all of the details on how to go about doing that at mindmoneybalance.com slash podcast. Nice. That's awesome. I love freebies. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> well, that's awesome. So for proof of purchase, just like taking a screenshot of their Amazon card or, or whatever, or yep. confirmation or something like that. Yep, exactly. And right now I'm really recommending that people buy the book through a Black-owned bookstore if possible. And, you know, they can order it for you. You can pick it up from them or, you know, some of them are able to ship it to you just because, I mean, my cut from the book is the same regardless of if you buy it on Amazon or from a community owned bookstore. So to me, I like to keep the money in the community if possible. And right now really spending money on, at black owned bookstores is really important. That is awesome. Love that advice. And I think that's great for all of our local businesses, right? Yes. Support the minority businesses so that, yeah they stay in place and that we 
rise them up. So yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, thanks again, Lindsay. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lindsay Brian Podvin. You can check out all of her resources, her book, her freebie on her website, which will be included in the show notes. Her insight into how money impacts our relationships, especially our more intimate relationships, really resonated with me. I, As I shared in the podcast, that has been an area that I have struggled with being open and honest and relaxed when talking about money with my husband, and that has shifted over the years as I've gotten more comfortable with that. But for a time, especially when money was was tight, it was really hard. It was a very, very difficult place for me to show up. Thankfully, that is not the case anymore, but there are still some things that poke me about money. And so I hope that you this week will sort of investigate your own money story, how it impacts your stress, your anxiety, your physical and mental health, and do a little exploration on how you can talk about money with your partner. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you take care of yourselves in this difficult time. Ciao for now from this woman warrior. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Woman Warriors Podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guest profiles at womanwarriors.com.